the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into our second hour. We are delighted to bring back to the show George Kaloff. He is the president of Data Orbital and the managing partner at the Resolute Group, uh, political uh, mind uh, and uh, consultant extraordinaire. George, happy Monday. Thanks for being with us. Happy Monday to you, Seth. Always good to be on. Thanks, brother. A um, couple new items in the presidential stakes. I suppose we saw this coming about a week ago, but it looks like Mike Pence is officially in now, filing papers, and Chris Christie will join the field, I think, on Wednesday or, the, yeah, I think the day after tomorrow. Um, up until about two, three weeks ago, it wasn't certain that Mike Pence was going to get in. Um what is what is what is the justification? What is the rationalization? That's the word I want. What is the what is the rationalization in this field already fairly fairly flavorful for Mike Pence? What is his candidacy? Who is his who is his base of support that isn't sure. already uh, addressed by those already in? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think there's a couple ways to look at this. And by the way, you apparently. Uh, I hadn't even realized this individual was running. Apparently, the governor of North Dakota. Yeah, I caught that today, too. Didn't even know his name, (laughs) but he's running. Yeah. Yes, apparently a self-made millionaire. I don't think quite billionaire. Self-made millionaire software. Right. But anyways, so I think for Vice President Pence, this is the lane. And and I think part of the answer to your question is that it is already being occupied by two individuals. I just think his calculus is he is more well-known, and I'd argue that is true than both Nikki Haley or Senator Scott, right? Okay. But they all occupy the same lane, right, attracting that conservative, probably less populist evangelical voter, which is a very dominant percentage of the party, right? Now, obviously, in the world that we live in today, with the presence that, that, that Trump and DeSantis have, they are going to obviously be picking up a, a portion of those people, definitely the more populist ones. But that is the lane, right? They're all vying for that same lane. I wouldn't necessarily put him in sort of the, the anti-Trump lane, you know, right, like an Asa Hutchinson is, or very much so a Chris Christie is, because I think VP Pence still has disagreements with the president, uh, with, with President Trump, but, like, has not made his entire position to be anti-Trump. Does that make sense? Yes, right? In the yes. same way that DeSantis yes. is disagreeing, but is not anti, and has even taken shots at, no surprise, Nikki Haley, for example, on some of the Disney stuff and some of the other comments she has made. But I think the long answer to your question is, it's the lane that's occupied by Senator Scott and Haley. I just think that he believes, and again, I would. it's tough to argue that, that it's not true, that he is more well-known, has more of a national profile, has more of a national fundraising base, and could dominate that lane in ways that they can. You do see in the polls. Is. Yeah, no, he is, he, is, he is as a third person in. I mean, the latest polls I saw had him, you know, at six, where everyone else is kind of at three and two and one. Um, yeah. At least in one one recent poll I saw, giving point to give, highlighting the point you're making about name ID. Um, the other big story on that front. Well, okay, great. Having done Pence, now do Christie. What's Christie thinking? That I have. <laughs> 
that one's a lot harder to explain. Is that a tough because, <laughs> What is right? Chris I mean, Christie he, thinking? That's a <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, as, as someone remarked, he has one of the lowest approvals and highest unapprovals of anyone in the field. Right. Either most of them are non-known or they're very well liked amongst the Republican primary electorate. He is very much so anti-Trump. Look, in generalities and before his intense criticism of Trump, the type of he, he actually represents the type of elected official or the style that the voters of today want. They want someone more aggressive, tough talker, but it's, he's taken that in very different ways. So I, I frankly, I'm actually very surprised by this decision. I'm not at all surprised by VP Pence getting in. I'm very surprised by Chris Christie getting in because at this point, you, you would think that like, unless he's thinking something we're not seeing, it's not like he's vying for some sort of cabinet position or some sort of position. At no, he's making enemies of too many people, Trump. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that one doesn't make as much as much sense. Again, he has some level of national profile, and he's a name that people know, but I, I, I don't know. That one makes less less sense, for sure. I'm not sure what his lane is. Again, it's the anti-Trump lane, I suppose, but you know, there's already at least a couple of people in that lane, so that lane is the smallest of any of the lanes that we've talked about in our party. You know, one of the things, you know this, obviously, and, and I'll, I'll let the audience that doesn't know know this, that when someone decides to run for office, to announce any run for office, they obviously have to fundraise, obviously. And a lot of questions um, that the candidate will be asked by potential funders are, and and what is your pathway to success? Ver- variations on that. How do you see yourself, you know, winning? Is my money going to be good here? Because, you know, donors are making a bet in a sense. Um, they're, they're betting yes on their candidate, but they're also betting – that they're not going to be locked out of the out of the um, out of the room or the discussions if they choose poorly, so to speak. So they want to see some pathway to uh, potential success. My guess is Chris Christie's going to have an awfully hard time, but I think Pence, in a way, too, is going to have a hard time justifying to donors that there is a big pathway to success here. I mean, we've talked before about it being this early; anything can happen. But it just seems like those trombones aren't getting first and second share in the orchestra. Yeah, I, I I will say, I think in his defense, I think there's a legitimacy to Vice President Pence's yeah, candidacy sure. as the former VP. Sure, sure. That is a little bit different, right? And I, and it I, is. I do think there's a, there's a candidness that people go in eyes wide open on. They understand, like, look, I'm going to get behind you. And I know there's a risk, so on and so forth. Obviously, you're a small dollar donor. Your calculus may be a little bit different. It's like, who gets you the most motivated? That's where I think I really struggle with the Chris Christie one or the governor. Yeah. And again, I don't want to butcher his name. I'm not, I'm not remembering off the time I had the governor of North Dakota. Those ones I'm not understanding. Maybe the governor of North Dakota is looking for a cabinet position. That one could be interesting because he's not well known. This would be his introduction. Vivak Ramaswamy, as, you've, as we've talked about, he is a, a whole different type of candidate as the only real non-elected or former elected, I should say, very much so he could put himself in a national profile and take a very very good sort of position in a cabinet. And maybe Larry um, Elder, too. Other. Maybe Larry Elder, yeah. too, is a non-elected who kind of has this issue of fatherlessness, right? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, there's... I mean, I don't know how else to say this. I mean, the presidential campaigns are, on one hand, very predictable, and on the other hand, they're not They're not predictable at all. I mean, if we all remember when it was it was 100% going to be Hillary Clinton's time until it wasn't, yep. in a way, right? right. And, and then the, the upstart freshman senator from... You know, from uh, from Illinois, he went from being a state senator to U.S. senator to president all in the span of, I think, a decade. Or yeah, less, maybe, think. yeah, maybe not even. Yeah, maybe not yeah, even. I yeah. think he was, a f- I think he was in his second year of Senate because he ran. Let me see. He gave yeah. that speech in '04 at the convention. He was running for U.S. Senate that year. 
Remember against Alan Keyes? Remember how fun that was? So he would have been 05, 06. So he was in two years running for president from the U.S. Senate. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, so like, look, I, I'm not saying that I, I think that there's a plausible chance that, you know, a, I don't know, so someone with a super, super outright stance gets there. Like I said, that's why I made the comment on simultaneously. It's very predictable, but also very non-predictable. And there's a whole host of reasons why people make these decisions. Um, I think some people make decisions just to be a thorn in the side. And again, I'm not going to name names. I, I would probably gather to say that there's a couple people in this field, maybe one in particular whose his entire existence is just to, yeah. <laughs> you know, be on the debate stage. But, yeah. you know, the other thing that we have to keep in mind, by the way, is that the RNC has, in my opinion, really raised the bar yep. for the debate. Yeah, you have and to so have I'm so much. Sure, so, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even sure someone like a Chris Christie. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a high watermark, maybe with his list and his national profile. Maybe he gets there, but... There's others. I don't think they're going to get there. I don't right? think Hutchinson it's, gets it's there. Sununu said he's not running, by the way. That's the latest breaking. But that would have been the same calculus, too. Uh, yes. And, yeah it, may, yeah, it may not end up well for those that want to have debates. And the question becomes, does Donald Trump join the debate stage, too? I don't know. I mean, you're right about a former vice president certainly being a legitimate candidacy. Um, and I remember Dan... It, did, it didn't work out for Dan Quayle in, in, uh, in 2000, uh, 99, 2000. But the thing that's unique is it's the vice president of a former president who's also running. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what makes this. But again, it wouldn't be 2023, 2024 if it wasn't unprecedented in that regard. But Correct. look, no one looks back at VP Quayle's run and right. says, wow, why did he do it? Right? Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I mean, you do it because other vice presidents. Have yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes its own initial sense in certain conditions. We're going to go to break. I'd love to talk to you a little bit on the other side, if I could. People have been waiting for uh, Ron DeSantis to get in. He's in, uh, and he's going at it. But my gosh, George, again, these numbers, I just I, – I get it. He's powerful. He's strong. He can He can give a good speech and a good interview. But man, the distance he has to make up. Uh, can, can we on the other side of this break you just kind of walk me and talk me through various theories of the campaign and how, how you make up 30 points um, let's do it okay thanks George I'm Seth Leibson he is George Kayla of Data Orbital and the Resolute Group and he and I will be right back Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. George Kaloff is my guest. He is uh, the head of um, – he is the president of Data Orbital. He's the managing partner at the Resolute Group, pulling in consulting firms. George, something I did mean to run by you, um, and it has probably the greatest of implications for the DeSantis-Trump uh, rivalry, but also a little bit about what you were speaking with me about in the previous segment regarding Mike Pence's constituency. It's kind of interesting. Uh, it's a, the headline from the Washington Post from about a week and a half, two weeks ago, says it all. Move over evangelicals. Non-churchgoers now rule the GOP. And what they're showing is that church attendance levels uh, of, of declared or, or self, uh, self-described Republicans have fallen quite precipitously over the last uh, 10 years or so by about 10 points. Uh, in other words, as the country has become less church-going and less religious, so too the GOP. It might be a different GOP than people thought of in the 90s when you know it was more, much more considered an evangelical outpost than evidently it is now, but I don't know what you're seeing. It, it is. And, and look, I, I don't think any political party 
nor any ideology is going to be immune to, in general, the cultural changes in this country and, frankly, in the world, which is where, and I shouldn't say all parts of the world, but in the Western world, where religious affiliation and church going is going down, right? I would say, in general, I think no one would be surprised. The Republican Party still is more church going yes. than yep. Democratic Party right. or, or non-declared right. you know, independence. But nonetheless, there is that decline, and I do think it does affect, because you know, there is a difference if you go to church weekly, and we have seen this in a lot of polling on a considerable amount of issues. That if you go to church weekly versus if you go to church even monthly or a handful of times a year, all those individuals would probably call themselves, you know, they're Christian, Christian, mm-hmm. but there are differences, major differences, mm-hmm. if you go to church regularly or if you don't go to church mm-hmm. regularly. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the traditional evangelical base that, the, that people think of in the Republican Party is still exceptionally strong and arguably maybe the, the, the strongest of the bunch when you think of everyone else in subgroups, but it is not probably majority or dominant in the way that I think people on the left perceive or in the media they perceive, because they like to, obviously, no surprise, demonize issues that come from faith, like cultural issues or abortion or religious freedom or what have you. But um, there are differences. There are major differences when you really peel back the different layers of the onions, and that is going to have an effect, and it absolutely will have an effect on the presidential race. And I heard someone say this, phrase to me that I think will resonate, that there are differences between Christian patriots and patriotic Christians, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So people that, that are country first, God second, or people that mm-hmm. are God first, country second, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's the, and I know that that's a nuance, and some people may hear that and not totally understand what I mean, but those that do know that nuance, and it affects them in their behavior of how they view the world. Yeah, I do understand it um, from the uh, from the purview of having been a speechwriter in these precincts for some time, not lately, but in years past, campaigns past, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But it does have an interesting implication for the DeSantis-Trump uh, fight, doesn't it? If, <clears throat> if in some respects DeSantis is seen, I think he's actually Catholic, but if he is seen more as the champion of uh, what you might consider the evangelical values voter, um, that that could be interesting, and it could be interesting in a general election vis-a-vis Trump or DeSantis. I, I just think it could be, perceptions. Yeah, yeah, and, and actually the ironic thing is, I, I don't know that there's a single candidate, well, there probably are, maybe someone like a Chris Christie or an Asa Hutchinson or others, almost everyone in the top four or five likely contenders, six, from Pence to Scott to Haley to DeSantis to Trump, they're all going after evangelical voters. Yeah. Right? Like that's what's interesting. Yeah. Again, depending on how and, and I and I think evangelicals only Christians and church going Christians. Yes, sure, sure, sure. And Iowa has a big so thing forth. to do with that. Exactly. Has a lot to do with that. Exactly. Too, right? right. Everyone's going after them, and so now it's a question of well, why are you attracting them? How are you attracting them? That's where church attendance comes in. That's where tone and tenor matters. Yeah. And like, look, there are very healthy divides and very intense divides in the in the church, broadly speaking, about like, well, should a should conduct. Yeah. And should tone and tenor, should that matter enough to vote against someone or not against someone? That's why there are individuals that are making the argument to say, look, fine, you can convince me. And I think you and I have talked about And that's about where that patriotic Christian divide comes in a little exactly. bit, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. And, yeah. like, look, we don't want to give up, you know, to vote for someone that sounds nice but doesn't agree with us on any issue. Right. That's not going to be pal- right. palatable to most people. It's not palatable right. to you and I, right? right. We, we, you right. need substance. But I think the argument that the Santos team is making is say, like, look, you get the same things, but— so if, if you are concerned about tone and tenor, I do solve that for you to a degree, right? Now, the left has is, is done a very good job, I think, of actually painting Trump and DeSantis with the same brush. So yep. it's just very ironic the way this is playing out, because like in one hand, 
he doesn't want too much daylight between them. On the other hand, you kind of do because you have to differentiate. Otherwise, why would you vote for the new guy, right? If yep. you could vote for the, the person who you know. Yep. So it's very interesting how all of these things will end up playing off of each other. But no doubt, um, the fact that there is church, less church attendance is going to affect, and the fact that DeSantis, and look, we're, we're still talking a week out, but um, there are some polls that are showing him inching back a bit, right? Uh-huh. We'll see. Obviously, there's a lot of time, and now the first debate, I think, was set for August okay. in Milwaukee. Yeah, that's right. Mistaken. That's right, yep. So that will be a first big marker, how that debate, usually debate bumps either are momentary, flash in the pan, or they're legitimate and they stay and then people build off of them. And we'll see what uh, what ends up happening. By the way, DeSantis has kind of taken the ownership of the cultural, the cultural conservative or the culture warrior, if you will. You know, that depending on, you know, that could be that could be a pro, I mean, that could be a surprise in this dynamic where you would typically have the values voters or the evangelical voters more supportive of that in a party that has seen that 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 membership decline. That that could be an interesting cause for readjustment on both him and Trump's part, his and Trump's part. Yes, yes. I, there was actually very helpful insights. I'm not sure if you saw this, that from um, the outfit, center-right outfit called Echelon Insights, where they teased out different factions of the party, and they came up at six, and I'm not going to remember off the top of my head. But the point that was very distinct to me that I think may surprise some people is that among those, and it was about 10%, that were more uninformed slash moderate Republican. In uh, on the like I said, only on the right. So we're not talking all voters, just on the right. Especially if you were uninformed, maybe even more so than moderate. Um, you actually favor Trump to DeSantis, ironically enough. Imagine that, right? People would think, well, that's the inverse, but they 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 do hold sort of aggressiveness and in, in the different um, ways that Trump challenges the swamp. And I think we see this anecdotally, and so they actually favor Trump by a healthy margin versus DeSantis, who's favored amongst those that are sort of, you know, MAGA, what's called kind of MAGA alliance. So you're very conservative, but tone and tenor, old school does matter for you, but you want that, like, you want to hit cultural issues right on the on the nose. And so, you know, that may explain why, to your point, there's been some very interesting positions taken by President Trump and Governor DeSantis on things like life and some of the dynamic yeah. in the public debate that's yeah. happened there. Yeah. It may, if that is true, if that analysis uh, holds water, then it tells me DeSantis's job is going to be harder than a lot of people, even than I think it is. That's what it tells me. He has me. to do everything yeah. perfectly, and I'll say he has to come out of that debate yeah. with an absolute 8++ plus plus yep. job uh, performance yep. in that debate, and yep. Trump has to somewhat muddle it. Yep, that's that's the task. All right, George Kaloff, bless you, sir. Thank you, as always. Love getting your insights. Good, good talking to you, sir. You Talk betcha. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. Russia, India, Brazil, China, and Saudi Arabia are conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. The administration is sending hundreds of billions of dollars abroad while depleting strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure here at home. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within central bank digital currency. It's real. The patents have been filed, and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The vets at Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. The end of cash, ties to social credit, the end of financial privacy, big government able to see your every purchase. Own private currency, gold and silver. 
Now get free silver just for asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. David, um, you hear me all right? Yes, sir. You uh, showed me I, – I think I've mentioned before on air that um, that uh, you do um, occasional food videos. You yeah. Home, you, you show people how to cook and, uh, and, and, and you don't do it particularly regularly. It's on occasion. But you did one. You showed me the Instagram video of it. You cooked a London broil. It looked fantastic. Fantastic! If people want to follow your cooking uh, guide, how do they or your cooking uh, um, videos? How do they do it? It's going to be at Answer the Call with Doll. That's my uh, Answer the Call with Doll on Instagram. Answer the Call with Doll, and with is spelled out. It's not W. No, it's W I T H. Yes. Answer the Call with Doll. D O L L. Yes, just like my last name. It's it's like I like Ike. It's one of those platitudes that means nothing. (laughs) How how many how many videos do you think you have up there by now? Oh, eight. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, just eight. Yeah. I mean, I you know, I do one maybe once a month or so. Well, that's a lot of fun, year. and you yeah. score it nicely with the music. I think I got you onto the Rosemary. Was that Rosemary Clooney in that one? No. Uh, that was uh, Della Reese. Oh, yeah, Della yeah, Reese yeah. from Touched by an Angel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well done. I think she was a pastor too before she passed a few years back, if I'm not mistaken. She was a minister of a sorts. Minister. Yeah, not a pastor. Sorry, a minister. I, I had no idea. Yeah, I think so. I think she had a church. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> but it was fantastic. It was colorful. It made me hungry. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have done that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've made me hungry twice today. I walked into the studio, and I was, and you were eating lunch yes. at my on on whatever you call this in the studio where I sit. I was uh, establishing dominance. You were, yes, and you know you make me crazy with the s- sweet smells, the succulent smells of, of, of food. So you just thought you'd take it up a notch and do it right where I sit. Well, I, I took some of the, the What is the meaning of this? The leftover broil, and I sliced it up It looked gorgeous. Thin, looked perfect. And I uh, put it on top of a salad. And uh, What was you know, the cheese? Uh, it was a, a spicy fontina, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Had you done that before? No. Never. Did you make it spicy or did it come spicy? It came spicy. I, I did not cure the cheese myself, but everything else from that meal yeah. yesterday, looked fresh. I did myself. Yeah. I made the French fries myself. Oh, yeah. Air, uh, air dried, right? And, yes. Air yes, fried. That's right. Yeah. yeah, they looked great. Everything looked you, – and you cooked the steak perfectly. I, I'd, I'd never done it before. It was a gamble. That was probably the most risky I've done one of those videos And it came before. out perfectly, yeah, didn't it? it? Out, yeah. yeah. Well done, sir. Well done. You're very talented. If I can get you on Twitter, we could really expose <laughs> sure. your, yeah, yeah. I, your reach. I, yeah. It should take you about five minutes. In the time, you could, you could, you could have gotten on Twitter 20 times in the time it co- took you to cook we, that we, meal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, well done. Um and what's your button today, sir? Today I have a Goldwater Miller in 64. Yeah. Bill Miller? Yes, Bill Miller. New York State representative? Yeah, here's a riddle. It's a killer. Who the heck is William Miller? Yeah, upstate New York, I think, or somewhere Buffalo. in Buffalo. Yeah, I that counts. So. That's yeah, upstate Buffalo. New York. Yeah, yeah. I, wonder if, real, I wonder if that's the seat Jack Kemp took. Oh, you know what? I bet it is. I bet it is, too. Oh, yeah, it never occurred to me. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It, we'll, we'll, we'll check on the break. We'll have the fact checkers yes. check on the break. We'll have the, the, the David check on the break. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Bill Miller. His daughter is Stephanie Miller, a liberal talk show host you sometimes see on TV. That's a 
that's a one. It happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it happens. Ronald Reagan Jr. Mm-hmm. Ron, uh, Chris Buckley, maybe from Bill Buckley's lineage, I think would be counted a liberal these days. It, it does happen. It does oh. happen. Anyway, oh look. Okay, I want to come back and talk about something Tim Scott did that was excellent, and we'll do it when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Um, yes, Tim Scott. Uh, I, you know I've been on a kick for years now about when conservatives or Republicans go on liberal television shows. Uh, often it will be – it used to be Comedy Central, Jon Stewart's show – uh, it, often enough, you'll see him attempted on Bill Maher from time to time, maybe even Stephen Colbert and 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 The View, to be sure. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they're not up for it. Could, could It could even be one of the Sunday shows, like Meet the Press. Nine times out of ten, they're just not as prepped uh, as they should be. They're not as agile as they should be and sometimes end up looking a little silly. If it's a show with an audience like Bill Mars was or John Stewart's was or um, The View, it's obviously even tougher because you don't have the audience on your side by about 90 percent, I'm thinking. And the hosts, of course, uh, have huge armies of researchers and writers um, and, of course, the ability to edit in a lot of the cases. That's, that was John Stewart's trick. If you got off a good point against John Stewart, he'd edit it out. So I started advising people not to go on a show. You thought you were seeing a live to tape or a live show. You weren't. Um, In any event, when you find a conservative that can go on those shows and give as good as they get or better, uh, it's it's a wonderful thing. And the one I was praising last or most recently who was able to do this was Vivek Ramaswamy, who was on um, Todd – what's his name? Meet the Press. Todd – Whatever his name is. What is his name? Who's the host of Meet the Press? He just announced his retirement. uh, Chuck Todd. Yes, Chuck Todd. Um, Anyway, Vivek Ramaswamy was on with Chuck Todd about a month ago and on a pretty pretty tough set of issues uh, having to do with children and transgender issues. And Vivek did not back down. He did not try and move it forward or on. He wanted to stay on it because he was kicking you know who's he was kicking chuck todd's you know what and uh the tell on it was as i mentioned you knew you knew ms uh, you knew nbc uh saw saw vivek get the better of them because in the on the on the show's website they put up a featured video from the interview and it wasn't that segment which was the bulk of the segment it was a smaller segment they featured on um i think dismantling the fbi and anyway, so Vivek can do it. He brings it. I didn't know if Tim Scott could, but he could. He can, and he does. And that's a great thing. He went on The View this morning um, because you may recall that uh, Joy Bahar uh, said uh, that he doesn't, he doesn't understand what it means, like Justice Clarence Thomas doesn't understand what it means to be black in America, which is risible, if not— if not <laughs> deserving of, of of deserving of great censoriousness, he <laughs> a white woman, a liberal white woman, lecturing Clarence Thomas and Tim Scott that they don't know what it means to be black in America, and 
you know, it's part and parcel, too, of my wondering if anyone ever even cares about things anymore. I mean, it's just such an outrage. You you don't get what was this about seven, eight years ago? Maybe you've got this notion of mansplaining, which I never quite understood. Seemed to be a a charger, an epithet you throw around. A charger you throw around if uh, if a male and a female were debating, and and the female took umbrage with what the male was saying because they found it condescending. The best example of that in history, do you know what it is? It was a vice presidential debate. Jerry Ferraro and George H.W. Bush, remember? She didn't use the phrase mansplaining, but she said she resented the way Vice President Bush was talking to her. Do you remember that a little bit? Yes. That was the precursor to the charge of mansplaining. What about this race-splaining thing? Since when, when is it okay for a white woman to tell a black man or reverse the genders any way you want, a person of color telling a non-person of color they don't know what it means to be that race in America? I, 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 the only way you get to do it is if it's a liberal charging a conservative. That's the way you get to do it because there is an implied notion that the conservative who might be a person of color in the parlance of our time is um, – has surrendered has surrendered their 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 minority status by being conservative which gets you into the delicate but i think necessary way of thinking about these things if you understand the underlying element at play there the underlying element at play there is that your race should determine your thinking that's what they're saying right because you were born a certain race you must think a certain way you must vote a certain way you must have a certain ideological outlook, which I have always compared to the Nuremberg ethics. I I, I am astounded that this still has play in America, but it does. ABC gives voice to it on The View, and Joy Behar last week said that that Senator Tim Scott and Justice Clarence Thomas don't get what it means to be black in America. I don't know how she knows what it means to be black in America. By the way, I don't get how she understands what it means to be black in America unless she thinks she is so she is the savior of the African-American community with her liberal outlook that uh, she understands it better. Anyway, he was on um, on The View today to uh, respond to all that. And uh, Joy Bahar wasn't there, but that that's not unusual. She's not there on Mondays. And he was very good. And I'll play maybe a little bit of it in the next segment. But he was he was so good that he he had to point out that every time he started making a good point against Sonny Hostin or someone like that, that they they had to go to a commercial break. And he was right. And they kept doing it so much so there's almost only so much of this nonsense I can stand. So I'm not going to burden you with it. But so much so that at one point, um, Whoopi Goldberg had to have a producer tell him that they were going to commercial break. But, you know, knowing what you're talking about, obviously, being comfortable with who you are, it makes a big difference. And when conservatives can go on these shows and do it, it's great. My advice has always been to most Republican office holders and conservatives, unless you really know it and you've rehearsed it, please don't. It's a setback to the cause. It's a setback to the cause almost every time. And uh and 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 they and they delight in making fun of of um, of conservatives, 
But if you think about our presidential race right now, uh, you know, I don't think any of the candidates I don't know Hutchison that well. I don't I haven't followed much of what he does, but I don't think any of the candidates and this is a great testament to our party and its leadership or at least its uh, attempted leadership in the nomination. I don't think any of our candidates would fail. I mean, you know Larry Elder can hold his own. We've seen Vivek Ramaswamy hold his own. I'll show you Tim Scott holding his own in a minute. You know Ron DeSantis can hold his own. CNN uh, didn't lay a glove on Donald Trump, which is what led to the meltdown at CNN and may lead to the ouster of CNN's president. I don't know if you saw that news, but he's on the um, he's on the grill for his job, which would make it if he goes the third president in a year at CNN. Who am I missing that um, that might get you know called on to be interviewed? They, they, I, I don't know, but they they can all stand up to the left, and that's important and it's great. All right, let me give you some of that audio when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I was setting this up, Tim Scott, on The View this morning, uh, just doing a really great job, and I wanted to give you a little little sample of it. I believe this is the part where he's uh, going back and forth pairing with Sonny Hostin, who is, if you don't know, an African-American woman. You have indicated that you don't believe in systemic racism. What is your definition of systemic racism? Let me ask, answer the uh, question that you've answered. Does it ex- or does it even exist yeah. in your mind? Let me, let me uh, answer the question this way. One of the things that I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception... Uh, I can't imagine. But, but I can't. It Im- is. But it's not actually. Here's here's. It's been here's 114 my, years. Yeah. So so the fact of the matter is, we've had an African American president, African American uh, vice president. We've had two African Americans to be secretaries of the state uh, in my home city. Uh, the police chief is an African American who's now running for mayor. The head of the Highway Patrol for South Carolina is an African American. Still in, 19, in 1975, um, there was about 15 percent employment in the African American community for the first time in the history of the country. It's under five percent. 40 percent homelessness and 50 percent of the folks get, in our community. Get 13 percent of the population. You had a chance to ask a question. I love you. I've watched you on the show that you like people to be deferential and respectful. So I'm going to do the that same thing. True. So here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest the fact of the matter is that progress in America is palpable. It can be measured in generations. I look back at the fact that my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, when he was on a on a sidewalk, a white person was coming, he had to step off and not make eye contact. That man believed then, with some doubt now, in the goodness of America, because he believed that having faith in God, mm-hmm. faith in himself, and faith in what the future could hold for his kids would unleash opportunities in ways that you, you cannot imagine. Every kid today can look just change the stations and see how much progress has been made in this country. ABC, NBC, CBS, ESPN, CNN, Fox News all have African-American and Hispanic hosts. So what I'm suggesting is that the yesterday's exception is today's rule. And for us to so suggest... America has met its promise. No, of course. The, the concept of America is that we are going to become a more perfect union. But in fact, the challenges that we face 
50 years ago and 60 years ago should not be the same challenges that we face today. And here's the way that you, you measured that. Well, we re- we're running out of time, but it's well worth it. And his winsome personality, he says, I-, I deserve the same respect you would ask of me when she tried to interrupt. Just beautiful. And I like that notion of the exception of yesterday is the rule today. It is interesting, these lectures from people making millions and millions of dollars a year who are themselves, uh, by, by, by obviousness and their own definition, also minorities, um, telling the world how hard, <laughs> how, how minorities can't make it in America. It's, it's as if things just, you know, words don't mean anything anymore. Tim Scott's making them mean something. Good work on his part. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.